And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 102 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, October 26th, 2015. Well, it is all Hallow's Eve week, folks. Spooky, spooky. Cue the Vincent Price laugh and cue Michael Jackson's thriller because it is on. It is a scary, scary thing here at PNR. Will we have a trick or treat? What's your scariest nightmare? The underperforming campaign? Waking up with the claws of Google Analytics reaching up from the underneath your bed? The nightmare of your CMS never publishing to the website? Waking up in a cold sweat for that third bullet point for that product one sheet that you just have to have? What is it? Well, fear not, we're here. That's right, like a silver bullet through Team Jacob's werewolf heart or a spike through Team Edward's body, Joe and I are here to bring you through the night. PNR is here. Just like the witches who don't like to ride their brooms angry, we're also afraid of flying off the handle. We've got haunted stories on content marketing news that'll have you like skeletons in the closet before they eat saying, bone appetit. We've got the fix for all those holes in your story on content strategy, intelligent content, and all the content tech that just happens like the great pumpkin fixing the hole in his pants. It'll be your great pumpkin patch. We'll finish it up with some rants that may have you thinking like the kind of mistakes that ghosts make. Yeah, boo-boos. And we're ready for the same ghostly feeling that you thought you just already had. Yeah, deja vu. All right, enough of that nonsense. Let's get this scary show on the road. And for that, it's time for me to bring in my co-host, my colleague, my good, good friend, the Count Dracula, spooktacular, the man of orange and black, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, buddy? I'm, you know, I'm okay. Uh, it's... <laughs> You and I were talking before. Oh my god! It could, this could be one of those shows. This one could of those definitely shows. be yeah, so, one of those shows. Uh, yeah, your 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 Cowboys lost. My Browns lost, and I've been out raking leaves for an hour. So I'm in a fantastic <laughs> mood. It's wonderful. Yeah, but it is good to hear your voice. Another week down. Here we are, man. Here we are. I'm in lovely Minneapolis as we oh, speak. Nice. And, uh, what you there yeah. for? Well, I'm going to go see the folks at Thomson Reuters and uh, see if we can't uh, work a little content marketing magic with those guys. I'm sure you will. I'm sure that'll be fantastic. Yeah, it'll be. It's going to be a good day. We're doing two. We're doing two workshops. Um, the crowd is so big, in fact, that they had to split it over two days because there were too many to fit into one class. So I'm basically doing the same class two days in a row. You're you're doing an encore. You sold out the first act, the first session. Apparently, and now they're doing. Oh, that's tremendous. Uh, apparently, it's a yeah. It's a two night. It's a two night gig, right? It's a two, it's it's the two night show, right? You know, Saturday and Sunday. That's Saturday like, and uh, Sunday. That's be like there. Garth Brooks esque, <laughs> mind you. Yes, minus the talent and the music <laughs> and the hat. Yes, but but other one otherwise exactly like Garth Brooks. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't even. I mean, most of our listeners don't know that you are quite a musician. I mean, you. I mean, the 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 song the the song that starts our show is yours. You produced that yourself. Yeah, I did. I did. I'm. I'm. So if you hate it, that's now you know who to blame. <laughs> Don't worry, I protected you. All the emails I get would just stop it with the music. I'm like, I'm never. I'm never going to tell him. Nice. I appreciate. It. Yeah, protect me from all those negative reviews. It's a good thing, actually. Hey, I hear we have a giveaway. We, We're giving something away. We are. We're giving something very special away. So here's the deal. Very special. So to all of our listeners, we're going to do a special This Old Marketing giveaway. And here's what you get. We're giving away five free downloads 
of this amazing audio version of of this book. I don't know if you heard about it. it it's called Content. Inc. I've heard about it. Have you heard it? But yeah, it's, I've heard seriously, I've, I've, five, no strings attached. We're going to give yeah. away five free downloads, and all you have to do to be entered is tweet why you would like a copy of Content Inc. and use the hashtag This Old Marketing. You have to use wow. the hashtag This Old Marketing now. I'm told that these will be chosen at random, but I also feel that creativity should like get you double points. Sure. So the more well, creative- well, there are no points. There, there is no wagering, folks. There's no this wagering. Is, this is all. This we, is all. This is all at random. That, this is it's all completely random. at random. But more creative. This ones random drawing might brought to you by drawn. Content Marketing Institute, a subsidiary of Z Square Media, <laughs> which will. <laughs> anyway, so here's what you do. You want a copy of Content Inc. We're giving away five of them. Use hashtag This Old Marketing. And type in why you want the book over the next week, and we will draw a winner and uh, and get those out to those people. So that's it. So anybody anybody who works in Justin Bieber to their tweet, I will send a free copy of Experiences: The Seventh Era of Marketing. So Ooh. how about that? How many? Just one? Like your best? It, and you can't Bieber? just be like hashtag Justin Bieber. It's got to be like worked in creatively, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Ooh, if you it? can work in Justin Bieber to that, I will send you a free copy of one copy of Experiences: The Seventh Era of Marketing. This there is you getting go. good. I feel like now I should give something else away. <laughs> I, feel like I don't have anything else to give away, but that would be. So Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. You heard it here. Let's have fun with that. Do we have right, any news, now. my friend? We do, indeed. It was a plethora. Again, it's that time of year cornucopia. where it seems a cornucopia of shenanigans are happening here. And our first story comes to us courtesy. Well, we're going to pair a couple of stories together here um, with uh, one from TechCrunch and then the other from Fast Company. And it's all around the same idea here, which is, I guess, the big news of the last week here. And this is you know, here's the, here. Are you ready for my Marlon Brando impression? Okay, here we go. YouTube's making an offer they couldn't refuse. That's pretty bad, wasn't it? That yeah, that was pretty bad. Okay, but YouTube <laughs> <laughs> will completely remove the videos of creators who don't sign its new red subscription deal, says TechCrunch. Um, basically, YouTube made its top video creators an offer they literally couldn't refuse, says the article, or they'd have to have their content disappear. Today, YouTube confirmed that any partner creator who earns a cut of ad revenue but doesn't agree to sign its revenue share deal for its new YouTube Red service. Uh, ad-free subscription service, I should mention, will have their videos hidden from public view on both the ad-supported and ad-free tiers. That includes videos by popular comedians, musicians, game commentators, DIY instructors, and I gotta figure some popular content marketing uh, approaches as well. Paired with this is that it's already starting to happen. ESPN has taken its videos off of YouTube, says FastCompany.com, started pulling some of their video content from YouTube just days after the video sharing site announced that its paid ad-free tier called YouTube Red would be removed, would be uh, basically hiding those videos. So what do you think? Is this, uh, is this a good thing for content marketers that's going to start to help them rise up through the noise and remove some of that noise behind a paywall? Or is this a bad thing ultimately um, for those that are trying to make video and YouTube a, a either a living or a marketing strategy? Well, the, the first thing I have to say is we've been talking about this for two years. There's yeah, no right. surprise to anyone <laughs> listening to this yeah. marketing. Guess what, folks? It's rented land. They can do what they want. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> I don't have a problem with YouTube doing this because it's their business model. But obviously, this is Google, Alphabet, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're more than uh, 
they're I mean, it's their right to do whatever they want. They own all the connections. They own all your connections. You're giving them license-free usage of, of that content, whatever the case is. That's right. So, yeah, so they're going to this. And it it, it is interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, it's it seems different, though, than what Facebook did, right? I mean, Facebook basically said, okay, we're going to change the algorithm so your your content won't be seen as much by the people that follow you. This is, we're going to make you private, buddy. If you don't play along, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, the picture that you I mean you did the Marlon Brando impression, the picture on TechCrunch site is of you know the Godfather. Like, <laughs> it really is unbelievable. Now, wh- whether this is good or bad, uh, I think that boy, oh boy. See, here's the thing. I was ta- actually talking to the kids about this because they wa- you know they watch these YouTube guys all the time, and. If you've got, you know, like say PewDiePie has 40 million followers or fans, uh, subscribers right. on there, yeah. and yeah. a lot of the ones they follow you have millions of subscribers on there. I mean, that's that's a big deal. Like you can't just take it. That's what, and that's what they're doing. It just blows my mind. So this is just, I guess, more than anything else, because this is more of a, if you are <clears throat> trying to make a living on YouTube and you're trying to generate revenue from YouTube, this will be your. This will affect you. I don't think it's going to affect brands as much. But what it should say is, they can continue to change the rules at any time. If you can, if you put content on YouTube, just be prepared for them to do whatever they want with it, and you should be preparing now for that to happen. That's my take. Here's a, you know, but here's a thing. It's a thin line, right? That's a thin, you know. So imagine, you know, and so we can look at somebody like Blendtec, right? Blendtec creates a TV show for all intents and purposes with its Will It Blend series, and is still going very strong, at, you know, today with millions, I believe, of subscribers to the to the actual show. Do they do they get a note from YouTube or not? You know, I, I, that I, to me, it's a very thin. If if you really go down the road of content marketing to create a content brand that is driving subscription, the line between me as an individual, like a PewDiePie, trying to make a living out of this, versus me as a head of marketing for a company trying to keep, create a content brand that's truly entertaining or th- DIY or thought leadership or something like that, is a pretty thin line. And I I think. It's a. It's really interesting. I, I I have to imagine that Google at some point looks at this and goes, "Okay, that is a marketing effort by Blendtec. We're not going to touch that. We're not. We don't care about that." But do they? I, I don't know. Well, here's the deal. So if I'm reading this correctly, it says so in the article today, YouTube confirmed that any partner creator who earns a cut of ad revenue. So here's my take: If Blendtec, for example, since we're talking about it, if they take advertising revenue from that good program, point. that's a good yes, point. That's a good point. That's a good automa- point. If they have taken a dime of revenue in some way, they're going to have to sign that deal or go private. If you've never taken revenue, then I don't think you're part of this. Okay, that's a great point. That I had, I missed that point. That's a that's a great that's a great uh, distinction. So basically, if you're a marketer, that's the that's the lesson here. If you're leveraging YouTube, don't be tempted to once you start getting a big number of followers to make that a marketing program that might pay for itself by accepting the revenue ad share you, that you, you might no, that see, you might otherwise get. Here's, yes, but here's the thing: you bring up a great great point with this. Let's just say, not right now, it's any partner creator. In the future, tomorrow, they could say right. it could any be anybody. Creator, and if you and we're gonna order, we're gonna make you private, or nobody can see your content. Let's say, and your subscribers can't see your content, and as you release it, 
then with because the, what they're going to want to do is they're they're going to want to have rights to take and curate any content that they deem you know effective on their platform that's going to keep them getting more subscribers on the new you know their Netflix version. It's a great point. So that's my my take. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Now here as a consumer, I love this. I'm totally paying for it. I'm to- I'm totally going to buy this because I love YouTube and I love watching YouTube videos and I'm so sick of the pre-roll ads. If this gets rid of pre-roll ads, I'm all in. I, I as a service, I love it. So I sit down with, you know, we're sitting down at dinner and cuz I just read this article and I asked Joshua, so Joshua's my oldest. And yeah. I said, "Joshua, so do you have you heard of YouTube Red?" He said, "Oh yeah, I'm really excited about it." I said, "Do you know what do you know about it?" Yes, it's going to be about 9 bucks. It's not going to have any ads. It's going they're going to curate content. I'm like, "Oh my gosh." This is, so he already knows about it. And I said, "So, do you know about this partner deal?" So I was tell he didn't know about the whole partnership edge revenue deal, but he did right. say that PewDiePie, so PewDiePie the most subscribed to person on YouTube has already si- signed the deal a while ago because he's creating original content just for YouTube Red. Completely oh, sure. separate. Oh, oh I, I have to imagine uh, most of them will. Yeah. Yeah, most of them will. Now, now that they – now that there's a structure in place because the other side of this is, of course, now YouTube needs to start – you know, this, this, is, this is where it gets really interesting for these guys because now there's, a, there's an infrastructure in place now, right? There's – you know, so – they're going to have to start caring about the content quality and they're going to have to start caring. You know, they, they, at some point I suspect ratings will be coming, you know, PG versus G versus R, but you know, there's all kinds of stuff that the complications that they're going to get into by basically turning themselves into a, a they're, they're ostensibly turning themselves into a network, a TV network that just happens to deliver their content over the internet. The one thing that we didn't touch on, it's in the ES, ESPN article is that, um, you know, as ESPN is taking content out, they talked about Disney creating their own app for video yeah. called Disney yeah. Life. So, I mean, I think there there's an idea where you're going to say, "Hmm, what do I do here?" And a lot of in a lot of cases, you either give in, and maybe maybe we do give in in some cases, maybe some. I'll use that lightly in going forward with the YouTube, <laughs> or maybe you do create your own proprietary app, or from what ESPN. Took you know so let's say Grantland part of the ESPN network they now you have to go to Grantland to watch those videos since they're not available on YouTube anymore so it's just interesting all the yeah you know I mean as a brand it's it's t- you might just say look we you can show bits and teasers and whatnot and you know that we don't have any control over that so just let YouTube have it we're going to use it as distribution and promotion and then but for the real content for all the the good stuff that we want to drive subscription we actually have that on a proprietary platform which would either be an app on a mobile device of some kind or uh you would have it on your website as some proprietary player well, you know what's interesting to what would be interesting to explore here because I, and I don't know the answer to this. This is truly me in real time going. Wow, this is be an interesting thing to explore is how all of these changes with YouTube are affecting the companies like Bright Cove and even to some extent Vimeo and some of the you know some some of the ones that are offering private label video streaming services to brands. If this is helping, hurting, disrupting. Providing better cover sales, you know, I I wonder if it's I, I wonder if it's pro- having any effect. It's a great on that. question. I've got to think that this would help them. I would think so too. Because yeah, that I would, would be repel. my hypothesis. My yeah. first my first instinct as a brand would be to repel away from this and to say, well, shoot, yeah. we've got to take ownership back here because this could get really bad on any one of these platforms. So how do we, you know, how do we uh, 
do our own video and, and how's that as part of our own product and service cat, you know, same thing. So yeah, exactly right. All right. Is that All it for right, the show? I think we've been- <laughs> <laughs> We're moving to video folks yeah. and we're going to be on YouTube next week. And <laughs> our next story comes to us courtesy of ad week. And the headline is what consumers want from digital content. Do you know what consumers want from digital content, Joe? I think they want it to be good. But other than that, there was a study done, apparently. And the article starts off by saying, content is the engine that powers the Internet. I love that, I guess. All right. However, tastes and attitudes continually change, and marketers need to keep up with consumer attitudes to keep their content relevant. New study from Adobe uh, examines how consumers feel about content from different sources and how technical challenges can reduce engagement. And the article goes on to sort of relay some of the study results that uh, came out of this thing. Nine out of ten uh, of the 2,000 consumers were surveyed said that they use multi-screens. Um, 40% reported feeling distracted while using multiple screens. I wonder, uh, I wonder why. why. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, 47% of the millennials uh, felt like that. Um, this content overload has led to increased selectiveness from consumers, and the content market it gets more competitive as a result. 73%, by the way, of consumers said the content must display well on the device. That's a fascinating one to me. Um, basically, the expectation is now that the content is going to be, appear nicely on whatever device you have. Um, several common traits that turn users away, including images that don't load. I, I'll cop to that one. Content that takes too long to load. I'll definitely cop to that one. Content being too long. Eh. Uh, and unattractive content. That's an interesting one to me as well. So what do you think? What do you think about this uh, this study and what it had to say? You know, we didn't talk about this, but that's the, the thing that hit me was the fact that 40% uh, will basically leave content if it doesn't work. Like if it doesn't load fast enough, they'll just completely disregard yeah. it. They, they won't like go, oh, let me try it on another device. Let me go to desktop. They will just stop altogether. And I think that from reading through a lot, and I actually did, believe it or not, download the full study. And I looked at the whole thing. Um, it's uh, <laughs> don't spend too much time with it. It's a little bit of a yawner at the end, but the most most of it I really liked. Because <laughs> what, what was? Wait a minute, hold on. Don't you can't get away with that. What was the yawn, What was the yawner in the end? What, what did it, it like? Did the, it like? No, it did it just, like start talking about like cleaning bathtubs no, or something no, like that? I like the first part of the studies. Which Swiffer pads or there's a couple. Yeah, a couple things in the beginning. Then the end, it just it, it didn't resonate with me. Some of the the final stats, anyways. I so the the first part <laughs> I really like. It's the one that they would completely stop engaging in the content, and I think it still seems like a majority of, let's just say marketers in this case, or businesses are still wired to create content for the desktop. Right. That's right. And I think that's the issue in a lot of cases that we're not, we're, we're almost like desktop first and let's just do responsive design and let's just make sure it works on the, you know, the, your untethered device. But it's clear, it's clear through this research that, boy, you've almost got to do untethered first or all, you know, all of them have to be equally weighted depending, um, so it's just interesting there. The other one that I saw was 66%. Like the most important thing is they want their want it to be beautifully designed over plain and simple. This is right. millennials ta- talking. And I was like, so that got me thinking another weird, I don't even know if this makes sense. But, you know, as I go into more and more airports, as you do, I see that category reading a lot of magazines, like really well-designed magazines. Right. And... I'm wondering if 
because of everything that says, hey, too much multitasking, even millennials, I want to step away for a while. Do, am I like smoking something? Do I, is there actually an opportunity that for print in this where you have a really well-designed print publication that's entertaining in some way that, I mean. Uh, no, I absolutely think that, you know, I'm not sure I would make it available or or rely on the newspaper or excuse me, the airports for your distribution method. But, but it's, you know, I think, well, that's just where I saw them hang. I'm just, that's yeah, where yeah, I see well, millennials. I, seeing... I don't see millennials anywhere else other than airports. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but you've got, don't you have two of they're them really as children? They're, they're children. <laughs> yeah. They're not millennials. Yeah. No, all right. Yeah. I don't even know what, I mean, what is, what is the age group for millennial? Uh, if, if memory serves, it is, those who came of age, so those who were eighteen at the turn of the centuries, if that, if that, if if if, if I'm getting that right, which means they're coming of age right as the millennial uh, switchover happened, which means they were born. If I'm doing my math right again, they were born 1982 and upwards. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, because I know, so, I know, because I'm right smack dab in the middle of of Generation X, and I was born right. In same here. Uh, I'm on the edge of Generation X and and baby. Oh, boomers, you're in yeah. my generation. That's so I, nice. No, shut up! <laughs> shut up! <laughs> All right. This episode no, here's what is I'll, going down. Yeah. Hill. Here's what I'll this say. Here's what I'll say about this. Here's what I'll say uh, about this thing, which is the the I think the big takeaway here from from marketers is. V- one is, and this I, I just this happens to be top of mind because I was just having this conversation last week with the CMO of a of a relatively large B two B organization, and we were talking about the website, and they were thinking about doing a website redesign. And I said, "Great, what's going to be the purpose of the website?" And and he kind of looked at me and said, "I don't know what you mean by the purpose of the website." And I said, "Look, the the days of us having to you know basically." rely on our corporate website as, uh, you know, the online billboard of our presence, right? So, you know, the, the, the idea of requiring an about us page and the idea of requiring a team page where our executive bios are listed and the idea of requiring all of these sort of mandatory elements of content that we feel like a website should have because it's our online address on the internet is so antiquated. You know, I can think of, and their names are escaping me right now, but there are companies out there that are starting to just evolve their websites into an experience that is on the web. And you can find the contact information somewhere else. You can find the team bio somewhere else. You can find their locations of what, you know, and then providing for responsive design for mobile around the experience that you want to create instead of just using a hack of saying, well, our mobile, our website is mobile enabled. So you can, you basically, when you look at our team executive bio pages, they're very nice in your phone. It's like, no, if people are coming to your website on your phone, the chances of them looking for your team executive bios is pretty darn slim. What is the reason they're coming to your site on a mobile phone? And let's start to optimize content instead of just the design that's on it. I think that's what's really getting to in this sort of images, content that takes too long, content being too long, unattractive content. It's really getting us to what we want and relevant content faster. That is one of the most brilliant things you've ever said. No, good Lord, no. I'm totally serious. That's like one of those things that people do not think about. Like, what if you just rethought the purpose of your website? I think that, I think that, I don't think most of our listeners think about that. I didn't think about it. 
It's only you. You're the only one thinking about it. <laughs> that that would be sad. That would be I, that would make me really really no, sad I think if I was so, the only person no. thinking about this. I think that's really important. I think that we try, and even it, with the stuff in like our foot, we try to shove everything in the footer because oh, we have to have it all in the footer. We do that. We do that as well at CMI. We gotta right. have everything in there. No, you don't. Right, you don't. Wait, wh- why? Yeah, it's like the the. What if the blog was where our main domain resolved to? Oh my God, they won't be able to find our product page. Well, really, are they looking for the product page? You know, for most most companies. The product page is the least visited page of the website. And, you know, it's like, let's really look and think about how we can take advantage of this really cool new medium called the web and go, how can we create an experience that is actually relevant to consumers when they hit the main page? Some companies really get this, by the way. Some companies have really started to change and evolve this way and, have, and, and, and are doing really cool things. Well, look at, I don't yeah, mean look to say Pepsi's, that. You know, look at Pepsi's homepage. Yeah. They've been doing that for a while. I mean, there's nothing about yeah, Pepsi exactly. anywhere. Um, That's right. The last thing that I'll say on this story is, and this is toward was toward the end, and they talked about uh, content from a major news source and content from a company where you buy their products or services is the same level of trustworthiness overall from a content standpoint. I thought that was interesting. Wait, say that say that again? Because I, I I I want to I want to make sure I'm content clear on it. Say, say it one more time. Content from a major news source. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Content from a major news source. Yeah. And as well as content from a company where you buy their products and services is almost the equivalent in trustworthiness. Isn't that interesting? I would I I would have to see that aligned with the latest trust study. You know, so um, is it Edelman every year that does yeah, the trust Edelman study? Trust barometer. And, and yeah. yeah, and I would like to see that because I think that flies in the face of what that study says. I, well, let's okay. Let's I, just take it at yeah. its face value. Let's say it's true. Yeah. If it is true, then we should put all the focus of our content experiences on our current customers that already trust us because they bought something from us because Mm -hmm. the other stat that's in here is the most important type of of content that people want to get and that that they trust more than anything else is stuff that's shared by their peers. Right. So instead of going and trying to acquire new customers that don't have a relationship with you, it's better to Figure out a strategy where you can communicate effectively with your current customers, build those experiences, and then figure out a way to get those customers to share your content. Yeah, that would be that's it. it. That's yeah, that's that's a great point. That's, an, that's, that's a really good strategy. Point. Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, that's fascinating. I, I think we I think we've done enough on this show. I think yeah, we, we could drop the I could just drop, drop the mic, mic and leave. <laughs> All right. Well, our last story, we're on our last story here. So our last story is Epic Deck from Yahoo. And boy, did I have to read that headline very, very carefully. Epic Deck from Yahoo predicts what's happening in tech and media. This comes to us courtesy of businessinsider.com. And it's about this uh, huge PowerPoint deck that Michael Wolf uh, presented at the Wall Street Journal event that predicts what's going to happen in the tech and media industry in the next five years. First of all, before I get into this, I just have to go on a bit of a rant about you talk about website usability and website use and design and all that kind of stuff. I know you didn't have this experience. I was on a Mac. So beware in the show notes, folks, if you're coming at this on a Mac and using Safari as a web browser. 
I tried to load this thing four ways from Sunday. I mean, I tried to load it this way. I tried to search for Google through it. It was the only available place I could find this deck. It wasn't on SlideShare. It wasn't on anything like that. And the way it loaded for me was 136 slides as images over the top of each other, which I, so it turned my one page into like an infinite scroll through 136 images. It was horrible. It was the worst design ever. And I don't know if that's a Safari thing, a, a Mac thing, or just the design thing. But anyway, so this deck is really interesting. It goes on to talk about the real trends that are going on. This is required reading if you're in media, content, technology, marketing. It's just, it's, it's as, it's as big and as sort of, I guess, really just comprehensive as the Mary Meeker deck. It's just really, really, it's really interesting. Some of the conclusions that I found really interesting were consumer tech and media are going to grow by $500 billion over the next five years. Um, cord cutting, the idea of cord cutting is still a ways off. There is a cable television killer coming, but it's not what you think it is. Um, they did some media strategy here where they looked at the usage 27 apps are used on average per month, and 79% of them are spent on five of them. 96 websites uh, on a monthly basis, but we spend almost half our time on five websites. 194 television channels, and 100% of our time are spent on 18 of them. So basically, our media world, despite the sort of major choice we have, is still relegated to a handful of content uh, platforms and channels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what do you think about this? I thought this was just a fascinating deck, and I didn't even get a chance to go through all 136 slides of it, but there's a lot there. No, you're right. I would like to take some time to go over some more of it because it's just fascinating the way the amount of really amazing information in this. I would put it. I mean, yeah, you're right. Mary Meeker type stuff, like required reading for sure. A couple things that I thought was interesting. 11 hours of total media consumption in a day. The 31 hours of total time that we have in a day, because they basically say we multitask so much. So when you're, uh, when you're watching television, you're also engaging in another form of media. So it's just amazing how much uh, we, we seem to be squeezing more total media into our day. The thing that killed me was uh, how many companies have less than a minute of time per day engaging with a consumer and the number of billion-dollar valued companies. Well, yeah, I think Vox was in there. I think BuzzFeed yeah. was in there. That was just crazy. But I think the, the biggest thing that – I don't know if you saw this. The biggest thing that I thought would be the opportunity right now with the way that it looks is audio. And everything that they were talking – that, that uh, this guy was talking about with audio – because of the fact that it's the one for sure medium that you can absolutely multitask with. So there's more opportunity to grow with that because you can do you can do it while you're eating, you can do it while you're walking with somebody, you can do it while you're tra- for, while you're going to work, all yeah. that stuff. You can listen yeah. to audio. Yeah. And they said there's a really he was talking about the real big opportunity for non-music formats, which includes talk type radio, like we're doing now, or audiobooks. So those are the oh, things. that's fascinating. Isn't that something? So I would. So I wonder. So you know, you know, you know, Adobe did an experiment with this. I, I should find. I should 
email them and find out how that went, actually. Remember the experiment they did with white papers as audio? And they hired, uh, yes. I think it was uh, Malcolm, Malcolm McDowell, I think they yes, hired to actually correct. read the white papers, which I thought was just a really, I wonder if those actually turned out to be better. Because that's a really interesting idea, right? Sort of taking a thought leadership paper idea and instead of doing them as PDF files, actually do them as audio files with somebody interesting reading them. That would be, that would be fascinating. Well, I think we talked about that one. I think the reason why that one didn't work as well, because what they should have done is the way that that was written was for writ, for the written word. They needed to, to take it up and, and how somebody would speak and talk. And may, maybe they just should have reworked the entire white paper because it was just very hard to keep going with that one, even though well, it was Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. It was cool. That's right. But yeah, anyways. that's right. Well, writing it for the format, right? Yes. Writing it, writing it for dialogue rather than that, rather than sort of reading is, is, is an important point there. Yeah. Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. Is there anything else with this, uh, with, with this? Epic it's, it's, it's you, re- you should go read it. I mean, if you can get past the sort of lameness of the way that they present it in business insider and this is, you know, just put it on SlideShare. Come on, just make it, make it easy to consume. Let me download it as a PDF. If nothing else, it's just, ah, it made me, it made me mad. So, but it's great. It, the information in it is just fantastic. I do have to say this. So I'll do my own little rant and it's on many of the sites that we were on today as we were researching. The ads are getting out of control. Oh, they're just out of control. The, the popovers the pop, pop, and the, the pop-unders and, the and, just, and right. there's, um, there's a mass amount of custom ads going on right now. Like they're not doing uh, the IAB standard ads anymore. And there's it's just ads run amok. And yeah. at some point it's just going to be too much cuz I can't handle it. I literally on the uh, I don't know if there's a business insider one or it's the TechCrunch one, the thing was loading forever. There's 40 or 50 different scripts there loading in the background. Yes, and they all that's have exactly to be this right. rich media. Right, and it bounces around, and it, it, uh, it drives me crazy. Drives me absolutely crazy. It's going to be a problem. It's going it's, it's, it's to get all it's up in your shit. It's going to be a party. <laughs> all right, hey, how about speaking of a party, we have a new sponsor that we need to talk about. We do, absolutely. We have a, I mean, not a new, new sponsor. Well, definitely not, they're, they're, sponsor. Yes, exactly. They're, but, uh, they're back to, they're back to the party. They're, they're, new, they're to, new to us. New for the last, like, 30 episodes, at least. Right, It's been exactly. a while. So we're more than happy to welcome back Marketo as our sponsor of This Old Marketing. And we have a giveaway for you that's called Digital Marketing 101 Key Tools for Tons of giveaways this show. It is. This is Key Tools for Engagement Marketing. So this uh, you can find this one at bit.ly slash marketo dash digital dash marketing. If you can get that and you want to download that, I'll also be in the show notes. And you can download this ebook to learn more about the fundamentals of digital marketing and how you Yes, you, Robert, (laughs) can be successful in today's modern, complex business landscape. Just the other day, I was telling you, isn't this tough being in this modern, Modern, complex complex landscape? landscape? And you said, I I wish there was an ebook for that. This is the I wish I wish there was something I could read that helps me with the modern complex digital landscape. And this will do yes. it. And you know what? I got I got five bullet points on it too. How to apply digital elements to engagement marketing. How to implement a pay-per-click strategy. I don't even think we've talked about a PPC strategy on this show. 
You got to get it in this ebook. Why retargeting is such a powerful approach. And ret- by the way, a lot of content marketers using retargeting right now. Why digital yeah, marketing yeah. and SEO go hand in hand and what the future of digital marketing looks like. I hope it looks like a world without those big, rich media custom ads. Yeah. Do you think that might be the case? <laughs> yeah, I think you're going to – yeah, I think your your wish is going to be fulfilled not too long exactly. from now. Yeah. So download the key tools for engagement marketing today at bit.ly slash marketing It will also be in the show notes. Special thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Marketo. sponsor this issue, Marketo. Thank and we won't you, hold it against them that they're all purple. Yeah, yeah, right. But purple exactly. and orange they, are opposite colors. They look really good. They, so, they do. They do. They're absolutely. opposites on the color wheel. They do. So yeah, you have that. And the only reason I know that is because I'm in the middle of a house renovation. And so I've been spending my time in front of a color wheel trying to make decisions. And, and, and you know what the answer mostly is? Whatever you want, honey. That's, 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 <laughs> that, which, which part of the color wheel is that on? I think yeah, it's every which, one of them. It's the whatever, it's the whatever you want, honey. Color wheel is what that is. Yeah. You are one smart man. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is your favorite segment of the show. It's our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that makes us feel scary like Halloween or makes us feel like we got a big bundle of full-size Snickers bars in our trick-or-treat bag. Um, okay, so I guess I'm going first, aren't I? Because yeah. I have this old marketing. You do. This week. Okay, well, I don't even know what this is. I, it, it could be a rant. It could be a rave. It's it's more just commentary on it. I was inspired by a post, so there's nothing out there that I'm particularly ranting or raving about, but I was inspired by this post. And by the way, quick hat tip here to Carl Yeah for pointing this out to me. This It's an article that what we'll link to in the show notes is, I mean, you talk about long posts. It's on Moz, uh, M-O-Z, Moz.com, and it's, uh, the, the, the title of the post is Integrating Traditional and Digital Marketing, and it's really a very long post um, that I guess kind of walks through using Back to the Future as its sort of um, metaphor here, the sort of integration of both marketing and traditional and sort of teeing things up. And there are things in there that are great, just really good reminders and there's some things that I go, eh, okay, a little bit of like that's overplayed maybe a little bit. But I, for, I'm not ranting or raving about the article. The article's great. Go read it. It's, it's worth, you know, um, I think back to the future, I mean, might be a little bit overplayed, but uh, you know, it's, 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 it's good. It's a good solid piece. Here's the thing. It starts, the article starts with uh, a quote by this guy who I, Joe, I know you know that Bob Hoffman, the ad contrarian. Yeah. Sure. Who, I rarely, if ever, agree with this guy, and I, I, I quite fr- frankly find him a little annoying. Um, it, it, you know, the whole his sort of cynical attitude toward marketing and advertising, and and that it sort of just it, it gets to me a little bit. So, which is probably his point. He probably takes great pride in that 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 it, that it annoys me. He's a quote in there that that's that says basically he starts out the article starts out with this quote and this is what sort of inspired me to this comment which is marketers overestimate the attraction of new things and underestimate the power of traditional consumer behavior um, and then is followed by a quote that says nobody ever got famous for predicting that things would pretty much stay the same and that's the way he sort of opens this up and I look change happens right we are in a we are we're in a transitional time in marketing i don't think there's any argument against that but 
the way we need to think about this is, you know, I I guess I'm really just, I'm sort of tired of the meme, the trope that marketers are attracted to bright, shiny objects and we can't get out of our own way. And we look at these things like, like the fish does and the finding Nemo and we're sort of attracted in and sort of can't even pay attention to squirrel, you know, and that whole thing. I'm tired of that meme because it's just not my experience with marketers. The marketers that I have done business with, the marketers that we see every single day, are are thoughtful they know their traditions they at least appreciate the traditions of consumer behavior and they're trying to make their way uh, as as best they can so yeah it might be true that tv media buying is the same it might be true that pepsi killing off their tv budget and putting it all into social was a bad idea or that marketers overestimate the attraction of new things these things might be true but there's just as much risk in sort of assuming that things aren't changing, assuming that things that we can't and shouldn't change, that we're not poking constantly at something new and something changing, because that's the way you end up like the crab in the pot where the water boils and you're dead before it boils. And you didn't realize that the water was boiling and rising up around you and you've either drowned or, you know, basically died of heat before the water actually changes and the revolution occurs. And so it reminds me, I, so I went to this event, the, 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 a couple of weeks ago, and I wrote on this on a, on a post for intelligent content, but it was, it just reminded me of this is that this, this thing I went to was just this amazing people. Um, and we were talking about change. We were talking about this idea of revolutionary change versus evolutionary change, sort of incremental change. And we started talking about this and, and sort of the, the, the question that we had to wrestle with was, was basically, which was the way we recognize? In other words, can we recognize revolutionary change or is it all incremental? And, and we sort of basically said this is the wrong question to be asking because we can only really recognize anything revolutionary, anything that sort of happens and it feels like it happens overnight in hindsight. You never see the revolution as it happens. You never see that big change. You just wake up one day, things are different, but it's only a little different from it was yesterday and it's a little different than that from the day before and so on and so forth. And, you know, even something as revolutionary as the iPhone or, or, or the iPod or, you know, tablet computing or the internet was all the product of incremental change that had preceded that sort of leading up to that. And if you live in that time, if you live in the time of this revolutionary change, you're living in that pot of water. And if you don't constantly sit there and poke, if you don't constantly look at those big slide share decks that say where we're going and sort of ask the questions of where is the revolutionary change? Should we try this? Can we put all our money over here and try it? And if we fail, that's okay. If you're not constantly striving to that change, you will ultimately end up sort of behind and you don't get to create the future in that point. You get to sort of experience the results of it. And I just think that it's a it's bad advice to basically say don't worry because the change is not happening it's all about the classics you have to be focused on both you have to understand your past to know where you're going but you have to be constantly poking your future to understand where you can go and anyway that's the end of my commentary I think that's a really good point as it pertains to our practice of content marketing yeah exactly well that's where I thought of it right i mean that's the you know content is different right you know, if you look at, if you look at the examples that we always hold up as sort of the shining examples, right? You look at Red Bull or Kraft or Indium or HubSpot. 
they didn't set out to create revolutions per se. They set out to make incremental improvements to their business strategy and they kept at it, right? So if you look at, you know, one of the things that I admire so much about publishing companies is when they're looking at creating their model and the audience and the subscriber model, they're, they're you know, whether they're producing magazines or newspapers or TV shows, they just basically keep working on creating a valuable story every single day. And then at some point, it becomes, you know, Woodward and Bernstein uncovering Watergate, or at some point, it becomes the television show Friends, or at some point, it becomes something, you know, the all in the family. It becomes this thing that changed the way that we behaved or changed the way that we do business. It becomes this big revolutionary thing. But they didn't know it at the time. They were just doing the best work they could possibly do. That's the, and to me, that's the, constantly sort of poking at that change is the, is the way to get there. Just keeping it constant and consistent and not worrying about whether or not it's, you know, it, it really is changing or not. I, I guess that's my point. Well, I think that's the, that's the epiphany and the consistency when, when brands really start making this thing work, it, it often takes six, nine, 12 months until you really are like, Oh my gosh, this really is working. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like, no, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Little better, little better, little better. Oh my God, we got something. Yeah. But it that's took right. a long time to get there. Most people don't make it past that point because they're, st- they've only planned it for, to work for three to four months. Anyways. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Very good. I like that a lot. I'm Thank going you. to go on with mine now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so this one, I know you read, but I'm going to, to talk about this. This is the one from Neiman Lab. Uh, what's, All right. what's actually working in digital advertising, eight publishers on how they're bringing in money. And I've got a little rant on this. Okay. One. First of all, the setup All here right. is executives from the New York, New York Times, Slate, The Atlantic, Wired, Mashable, The Seattle Times, Vox Media, and Newsweek say native advertising continues to be a success. <laughs> so they all go through very, very smart people, very interesting strategies. But I, I did have some concerns as I went through this. Now, now I have to say... That Is that what the kids are calling really crappy? Is no, very no, 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 interesting no, no, no. these days? Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. Now, all right. I have to say that I'm sure that the questions set them up to talk about advertising the way they did. So I'm not I'm sure they have many other business strategies. My concern is it makes it sound like as all these publishers media companies are going through their strategy that it's all about new distribution forms of advertising. Heavy ads, ads, ads everywhere. Lots of we talked about this before. They're moving away from IAB ads to custom ads and what they're calling branded content everywhere they possibly can. I'm not ranting about this. That's just what they're saying. That's absolutely the truth of what they're saying. Um, Here's what I thought was missing. That all the advice when they're, they're talking about these partnerships with the brands and all the advice that they're giving is about how that marketer or advertiser, they call them, how that advertiser can communicate better with their audience. So if you go to the Slate example, so Slate, I got Slate started Slate Custom, and their specific mission is to help advertisers communicate with Slate readers, right? That And that's what all of them are doing. And New York Times right. is, is yeah. helping their brands communicate with New York Times readers. Here's why I'm ranting. I think that is a disservice. And they need to focus on helping their marketing partners, their advertisers, as they call them, help to just communicate better in general. 
I think they will be more successful if they do that. I think the problem is is that when you go at at this and say, look, I'm only concerned with helping you communicate so that you ultimately buy advertising or you know spend more money on our branded content, native advertising services, whatever you're going to call it, I think that that ultimately will not be successful because you have no idea on how that total strategy is going to work. And really, you don't even have an idea of the strategy of that company at all. I think I would right. like to see them go in instead and say, "Hey, let me let's let's talk about your strategy. Let's help you." And you know what? Here's the deal. You can still get business even if they don't buy advertising from your site. You can still be their consul- I really believe, I mean this is a this is a total content marketing approach. If you are the trusted provider to them, if you are the trusted expert and you help them through this entire process, they will want to do more business with you instead of saying, you know what? Here's the way you're going to have to communicate with people on Slate. This is the only opportunity. I'm wondering, and I could be wrong on this, Robert, but I'm wondering how many opportunities they're foregoing because they've got the blinders on only looking at these are the opportunities to communicate with our readers on our platform instead of looking at that that, uh, customer saying, wow, here's how you're communicating. Let us, you know, we know a little bit about content creation. We know a little bit about communicating with the types of people you're trying to target. Maybe we can help you do that a little bit better. And as we go through this strategy, it may or may not have a Newsweek or a Vox Media or a Seattle Times play, but let's go through this process and see if we can help you. That's what I would like to it's, see. Well, no, no, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, it's a very inside looking out kind of kind of way of looking at it, right? I mean, how, how, how they've presented it here, which yeah. is we know how to communicate to our audience, and so therefore you should basically do whatever we say, and and we'll give you the sort of options that you have. What it's not saying is, one, it's not acknowledging that a brand could actually come in with something innovative that their audience may be interested in that they haven't thought of, and two, it they haven't they haven't to your point sort of gone through the real work to say you know what let's understand if you're actually a good fit. Uh, you know, because what what from the outside, from the marketer looking in to the to the publisher, I don't care about your audience. I care about my audience that also happens to be a portion of your audience. And so from the marketer's perspective, I don't care if they read the rest of your slate magazine. I only want them to read my article. And if they read my article and do the thing I want them to do, either click over to my site or hit the buy now button or subscribe to my content that I'm going to deliver in their email, whatever I want them to do, or just be aware of my new approach that I'm going to, you know, making it a brand exercise, I win. And that's ultimately what you're doing as a, as a, as a publisher is providing a product, a service called get me in front of your audience and help me get my message out. And ultimately that, you know, I think you're absolutely right that the ones who are going to win this are going to do this in a way we've talked about this publishers that are going to start to offer up strategic services, regardless of whether their media properties play into this are the ones that are going to win this game. I mean, I get it. I totally, I totally, no, I, get it. I totally, I totally get why get they're doing it, it. I, yeah. and I, t- I totally. I mean, if you're trying to hit numbers, and this is the exact way to do it, I just think, yeah, that you're I doing totally, a disservice. you're right. You're doing a disservice to your customers when you come at it by with that. Just it's the, sh- but it's the short on. game. Yeah, it's a short game. It's the short game, right? They're not playing the long game here. They're they're playing a short game here that is 
that is, you know, it's well, not to not to put too fine a point on it, but with my commentary, but this is this is looking at an incremental change, right? This is basically saying how can we incrementally improve what we're doing with and not look at the fundamental change that's happening, and how could we do something? You know, we, we talked about this last show, right? Where you go, well, the choice is between A and B, and so we'll pick, you know, something like B point five. No, if you look at A and B, the answer might be blue, right? And we need to actually look at what what could we really just poke change here and see if it works. See if we offer up some strategic services that may or may not include a media buy on our property and actually provide something of value to that consumer experience, our customer, the marketing person, the advertising person, and see if we can change the entire way that we go to business about this. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Maybe we do need maybe we do both. You know, it's 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 that constant poke of change. That's that's the yeah, anyway, not to get off on a rant on your rant, but yeah, that's 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 fascinating. No, I think I mean, you know, you can you can totally take over my portion of the show. Oh whenever, dear. Whenever oh no. I mean, oh dear. Oh he This is the part of the show where Joe gets sad. <laughs> he gets he starts to cry. He goes out and well, rakes his leaves very sort of passive aggressively. <laughs> all right, man. All what, right. Do we have a, We've got have a, this old marketing. We, a, we do have a this old marketing and it's a good one. Um we have talked before. In fact, you and I were going back and forth on email that we thought we had covered this, and I was just amazed that we haven't. Um, we've actually covered the company, Johnson & Johnson, before, but we have not covered this actual thing as a this old marketing. And it was brought to my attention. Um, I was in Germany two weeks ago um, traveling the countryside there between Berlin and Frankfurt. And actually just um, was talking at his pharmaceutical conference, and Johnson & Johnson happened to be there. And I got in a fascinating conversation with one of the guys at J&J there. And he, we were – because I had brought – somebody asked in the audience what I thought a great example, and I couldn't believe we hadn't covered this before, which is Johnson & Johnson's Baby Center. Um, and a lot of people don't even know. And in fact, they go to great lengths to actually – sort of deprecate down the the actual fact that this is a Johnson & Johnson-owned uh, property. Um, and if you don't know, Baby Center is basically this parenting website. It's been around for almost 15 years now, providing information on conception and pregnancy and birth and early childhood for parents and parents-to-be, of course. Um, it's been online since 1997, um, was initially owned by the same folks who launched eToys, um, and then Johnson and Johnson acquired it as a property. Uh, I believe in 1999 was when it was acquired from eToys and became a Johnson and Johnson property, and has been going ever since, sort of providing all kinds of articles, thought leadership, all sorts of stuff around the idea of becoming a mom and becoming a dad and becoming parents and what it's like to have a kid and has become the go-to resource for many of the parents that I know, certainly, but um, uh, just a, a, a huge amount of traffic, millions of page views, subscribers um, and on a monthly basis. And so it is just a huge web property and a publication and a owned media asset for Johnson & Johnson. The thing, what we'll link to in the show notes is this ad, uh, it's an ad age article, I believe, that actually talks through one of the case studies of Baby Center 
and talks about Christina Hoff, the Johnson & Johnson manager for Global Strategic Insights, basically talking about the value that the property provides. It's obviously not about more leads for baby formula or more leads for that or you know all this kind of stuff. For them, it's all about the understanding of the consumer's needs. They've provided this valuable content to understand from a data perspective what really drives their consumers, which helps them as a business in innumerable ways, from product development to marketing to advertising to all kinds of stuff. As an example in this article, and I just thought it's a great one, is they know because of the number of subscribers and the, how the life cycle goes from the time you get pregnant and you start checking out Baby Center to the time that you start using it for your newborn and training and stuff like that, they actually know by the consumption of content and the use of data that moms start planning for their first birthday party for their kid when their child is 10 months old. Well, that's a really interesting data point to have, and it's one that comes to them, but the benefit of having this owned media property um, a baby center, and they can do all kinds of things with that, right? If you start, if you know that moms start planning for the first birthday at 10 months old, well, now I happen to know a lot of ways that I can optimize my marketing message with that. I can op- optimize product development with that. They have, by the way, they monetize this. So it's a marketing program that does pay for itself. They monetize it through sponsorships um, with other companies that are non-competitive to J&J, which is one of the reasons they keep the branding so on the down low because they don't want it to compete with some of the other companies like from P&G or other companies that are selling baby products that will advertise on the website. So it's a full-on revenue-generating operation that pulls sponsorships and ads and all of that and provides an incredible asset in this audience to J&J. Just an amazing example of this old marketing. Been around since 15 years they've been running this thing. I can't believe we've never. I know. I can't believe we've never covered it either. Such a such an, a great example. Well, I love the. I obviously love the revenue generation part, but it's in, you know, Julie Fleischer, Kraft Foods, uh, you know, as we always talk, to, talk about, the data is so critical. The data that you have, I mean, that it can sell itself if you see value in that and you're making really important business decisions based on the data that you get from the content consumption. I just love that part of it. Yeah. I mean, so here's another example. This comes from that same article where they where they went out and are, you know, looking at crafting campaigns for Tylenol and Motrin, um, which are other J&J, of course, products. Um, and they've got skincare products and stuff like that. And they know from the, uh, the usage of content, the consumption of content on their site, that the words sleeping through the night, as a quote, are the words that resonate with moms based on the baby center posts. And so they can start optimizing their aspirin and or skincare and or other products with the, you know, with phrases like sleeping through the night to help better resonate their advertising, their paid media approach. It's just such a great, it's such an amazing, wonderful thing that this content marketing can do if you just look at it from a different lens other than just being able to drive SEO or drive more leads. If we start looking at it as an asset that the business provides, then it's it's just such a more strategic piece of the uh, of the strategy. Well, what do you think no, about I, that? I'm, you're, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I think that was wonderful. I think the whole thing that you just did was wonderful. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's, I, I just actually, I just want, it reminded me, I just put this into my presentations and it's a whole little tweetable line. It says, you cannot extract value until you create value. 
And that's where I keep thinking of that's what most companies are doing because they try to drive leads so fast into the pro- process. Like, oh, we, we, we need to get more. We're going to send out this content. We need to get stuff. But they haven't built a long-term relationship. They're not a trusted I absolutely provider yet. Love so you that. can't extract that value until you give enough value. First. I love that. So, I love that. There you go. I love that. Yep. All right. Well, where are you? All right. Well, where are you going to be? What are you doing this I've week? Got a I'm in Minneapolis. St- where are you? I'll, I'll be. Uh, I got a little stop in in New York City. I'll be. Uh, I've got New a little, York City. New York City. <laughs> I've got a little. Um, we actually have, we're having a mini sales meeting there uh, with ah. uh, with Peter and Wally. So I'll be talking to them. But I have an interview with IBM in the morning uh, that I'm talking. I think content marketing, something like that. <laughs> and then uh, and then the next day I'm keynoting the conductor. Con- the C3 conductor. Oh, conference. I did that last year. I did that last no, year. No, they said something it, like, you better be good because Robert was really good. And I said, no, but here's the thing. So here's the thing. I, so I followed Seth Godin, which is never a good ad- piece of advice. Um, but um, I, so I, I, he was first and then I went second. Let me tell you this. Those guys know how to put on a show. That's a, it's, it's, you're going to enjoy it. They always pick a really creative spot. Is it on the water? I, is it on that? Is, I think it is. Yes. I yeah. It it's a really cool spot. It's, and, and yeah, they know how to put on a, a good show. So lots of SEO folks. So you'll, you'll love it. It'll be, well, it's a, it's, it's a good time. Thanks for recommending me for it. I yeah. appreciate it. So there you go. What are you doing? There you have it. I'm in Minneapolis uh, working with the Thomson Reuters oh, folks right. tomorrow, yeah, and then I'm home. Um, and then starting next week, my friend uh, – well, no, not next week, but the week after. You and I are on the road to uh, like the Crosby and Hope show. We're going to go do all these master classes. So if you haven't signed up for that and you want to come to Boston or New York or Washington, D.C. or Austin or San Diego or San Francisco, we're going to be there. That's – just come on now. Come join us. It'll be fun. But no Denver. But no, no Denver. Den- no Denver. No. Well, I'll be in Denver. I'll be in Denver next week. But yeah, other than that, no, no, no us in Denver. Exactly. All right. All right. That is it for Joe Polizzi. You know, this is Robert Rose signing off. Tweet us up, won't you? We love the story ideas. Hashtag us at This Old Marketing and hashtag that giveaway for Content Inc. And make sure to get that Justin Bieber reference in there if you want a copy of my book, Experiences, The Seventh Era of Marketing. And if you like this episode, number 102, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links, of course, are going to be available in the show notes that we'll send out uh, on Tuesday when you can download the episode, of course. But we'll also appear in the blog post that will appear at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.